0: All right, so we are in week three of this series uh, in the book of the Psalms. Uh, this uh, the Psalms are part of this. Uh, it's the second. The Psalms are the second book in a section section of Scripture that we call the poetic books, uh, which the poetic books would be in contrast to the historical books, the the narrative, the stories that we all know in the Old Testament. Uh, that tell of how God was interacting with this family that became a nation, Abraham's family, that grew into the nation of Israel. Um, We often, these poetic books, we often refer to them also as the wisdom literature. Um, These books, they don't focus on God's people as a nation so much as they focus on the individual person, These books, these poetic books, they concern themselves with the individual, the person, all the the emotion, all the drama of life, everything that is common among us. These books deal with it in a poignant manner. These books are very experiential. So as we are going through them, as we're exploring them, as we are experiencing the Psalms, uh, we're asking the question, how we apply the psalms in our own life, in our own context, how can we, like the psalmist, express ourselves in this cancel culture world? How can we, you and I, the Christian, how can we as image bearers of God, his representatives here on this earth, how can we live out loud in a world that wants to shut God up? In this culture we live in where independence and freedom and pride, they are celebrated. And words like obedience and submission are swear words. They make us recoil. Nobody wants to do that. This world where everyone believes that they get to be their own God in their life where we like to seize control and we wanna be the master of our fate and the captain of our soul. The Psalms, the the wisdom literature, these melodies that matter, they play an important role in this extremely emotional conversation. So in in week one of this series, uh, our Living Out Loud series, we looked at the praise Psalms and we discussed how despite the the threat of scorn and ridicule, despite the opportunity to be ostracized by culture in the face of being canceled, our praise of God, it can never be canceled. And we have to find ourselves in a position of praise no matter what situation we find ourselves in if we wanna navigate this life victoriously. Last week, uh, our good friend Josh O'Donnell, he was up here, and he shared with us about the appropriateness of lament. Everyone's favorite topic, right? The psalmists loved this topic because the psalmists actually there's more lament psalms than any other psalms. And these songs, they exist to guide us through the light, the trials of life, and they give us permission to pour out the heaviness that we're experiencing, to pour out our complaints, not on one another, but on to the Lord. It says, this is the appropriate place to take your hurts and your sorrows, your questions, your, your misunderstandings, we take them to the Lord. But scripture doesn't pattern the expression of sorrow like... The world does. Proper lamenting, it ends with hope. Properly lamenting ends with hoping in the Lord. With having to face a culture, with having to face a world that wants to cancel God's word, and silence the believer. It's easy for us to lose the posture of praise. It's easy for us to become sorrowful uh, and lament without hope, seeking to get as far from this culture, as far from this world as we possibly can. It's, easier, it's easy for us to, to begin to desire deeply to be in this world, but not of this world. And Lord, could you just take us out of this world? Like well, the last time I checked uh, in this cancel culture world that we live in, uh, we, we really need to, we, we have to make sure that it's not getting, it's not staining us, right? We, we have to make sure we're not of this world. Sometimes I feel in great frustration, like we're just stuck here until the Lord comes back for us or until death takes us away. And it's, it's frustrating being here in this world sometimes. The foolishness that we encounter, the crazy godless society that we have to navigate through, I don't wanna deal with it sometimes. I don't like to uh, have conversations with my 12-year-old little girl on why she needs me to uh, take her to the bathroom when we're in a public store and why I'm going to stand outside the bathroom door the entire time she's in there uh, and be like a security guard. It's hard to have conversations with my 10-year-old son why the man that he saw in the grocery store was wearing high heels, lipstick, and a dress. Sometimes I think, you know, it would be easier for me to just get as far from this crazy world as I possibly can. I think we all struggle with that sometimes. We all, can I just move further up the tracks? Can I move further out and have a nice little cabin in the woods on a lake where nobody can come and bother me? Man, if I had like the power of the Lord I would make that happen for me in my life. And I'd make that happen for all of you. The Lord had that power. The Lord could have done that for himself and his disciples. On the night before he was crucified, after he had the last supper with his disciples, in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed to the Lord and he prayed for his disciples. And I think he prayed for every one of us who would follow him. He says, as he's praying to the Lord in verse 14, he says, I have given them your word. He's talking about his disciples. I've given these followers of mine your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from, ev- from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, not to our little heavenly cabin on a lake somewhere. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth going further up the tracks doesn't sanctify us in truth. Be not of the world, it's not the end game in these verses. It's not the end game for the believer. It's the place where Jesus wants us to begin. Jesus, he does not want us to be of this world. And he tells us that he himself says, I'm not of this world. And my followers, you are not of this world. But that's where he starts here. He's, he's going somewhere with this. He says, Father, just like you, Lord, just like you have sent me here into this world on a mission to do a job, everyone who follows me, my disciples, and everyone who follows me for all of eternity, I'm sending them out into the world to do a job. Jesus specifically asked that we don't get rescued from this world going through the trials and the tribulations that this world has to offer, it's to sanctify us. It's to teach us something. He just asked that we would be kept safe in it. So in John 17, it's those who have embraced Christ as Lord. It's those of us who have embraced Jesus as our savior. We are not of this world But if you align yourself with Christ, you're on a mission. You have a job to do. You're sent into the world. You are here now on a mission to advance the gospel. That's your job now. You need to go and make disciples. You've been rescued from the dark, and you have been given the light not so you can hide your light under a, under a basket, not so you can flee further up the tracks. The light of God has been given to you. The light of the gospel has been given to us so that we can go back out into the darkness of the world and set it free. Our job is to partner with Jesus to set the captives free. And this creates a tension for us, doesn't it? How do we rescue people that do not, do not want to be rescued? How do we give light to people who just want to hide in the darkness? How do we go out into this world as subversive agents of the gospel, skillfully navigating through the darkness? How do we rescue as many as we possibly can while not succumbing to the temptation of this wily world? It's a balancing act. It's not easy to be in this world, but not of the world. It takes skill to do that. It takes skill to be in it and not of it. And that's why I'm calling this message today uh, In It and Not Of It. As we get introduced to these wisdom psalms, we're gonna be, um, we're just gonna be dealing with the idea of wisdom today. And next week, we're gonna take a deeper dive into wisdom, uh, and we're gonna look how it more practically plays out and applies in our life, how we walk this life out, as we uh, are gonna be looking at one of the psalms of instruction next week. But it takes time, it takes effort usually to become skilled at something. And if you don't use those skills, like Rick and I were talking about skills that are perishable this morning. If you don't use your skills, sometimes they start to disappear. It takes time and effort to build up skill in your life and it takes time and effort to maintain that skill. My four big kids, they just started A year of piano lessons this week. Rivera, uh, she's already had a year uh, of piano lessons under her belt. She did piano last year. So she's like reveling right now in the fact that she is more advanced than her brother and sister's. Maris and Jeter, they're like not super excited about learning to play the piano. That's not, the, the, he, Jeter wants to play the violin and Maris wants to be under a palm tree in Hawaii somewhere playing the ukulele. And I, I'm like, don't we all, right? But I know, I, I, even though I am not skilled, a skilled musician at all, and I'm like completely inept when it comes to music, uh, I do know a thing or two. I know that if you learn to play the piano first, when you're young, it will give you the foundation that you can pick up any other musical instrument and you can learn to play it all on your own without, mu- without a whole lot of uh, help uh, from other people. So I made a decision for my kids that I wish someone would have made uh, for me when I was a kid and I'm making my kids learn to play the piano. But becoming skillful at playing the piano, uh, becoming a skilled musician, that's one thing. But to be skilled at living life is another thing. Developing the skills to navigate interpersonal relationships, it's far more elusive than mastering the art of manipulating a machine. Budgeting your time and your energy, budgeting your finances, like some of us are really skilled at those things. Like naturally, sometimes we just had these skills and I don't know where it came from. I just, I just know how to do this. But for others, some of these things are like a dreaded discipline that we don't want to put the effort into because it's a discipline. It's difficult. Like think about your own life. Are you, are you skillful at setting goals for yourself? and then meeting those goals? Like some people are really good at setting goals and then they never meet them. Are you skillful at navigating through temptations? Are you skillful at handling conflict and crisis? How about leading your family and working toward your future? Do you have those skills? Being skillful in these areas, it's far more important than our craftsmanship. It's far more important than our athletic prowess or the ability to make beautiful music. These things bring us fulfillment, but it's always fleeting. When it comes to building the skills of living a life that glorify our Father in heaven, there's joy there that brings a lasting fulfillment when we lack skill at life, it tends to lead to hurt and heartache. This skillful living in scripture, it's referred to as wisdom. Sometimes we confuse wisdom with knowledge. Simply having knowledge is not wisdom. But being able to apply that knowledge in a practical sense in your life, that is skillful living, that is wisdom. Wisdom is the skill to use the knowledge that you have well. Next week, like I said, we're gonna get more into the nuts and bolts of this, of applying wisdom in our life and what that looks like. But this week, we're gonna start this conversation on wisdom. And we're gonna camp out in Psalm 111 if you wanna turn there. I'm gonna read Psalm 111 all the way through and then we're gonna pick through parts of it. Psalm 111 says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nation. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome in it is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So this Psalm is like, just bursting with the praises of the Lord and declarations about his nature, his character, uh, his attributes and this what the psalmist is communicating to us here is our God, the God of Israel is a mighty God our God works in mighty and wondrous ways. His works are full of splendor and majesty. He is righteous. He is gracious. He's merciful. He's powerful. He's faithful. He's just. He is the provider. He's our defender. He is a lawgiver. He's our redeemer. And he has a holy and awesome name. And then we come to verse 10, and the psalmist begins with this phrase the fear of the Lord. Now, the, the Hebrew word for fear is yirah. Now, understanding all that this word encapsulates, everything that this word yirah is trying to communicate is very important and can uh, greatly deepen our understanding and the context for this psalm and for wisdom. See, the fear of the Lord for the unbeliever, it can mean something scary. It can be, for the unbeliever, it means uh, the Lord is overwhelming with his justice, with his power, with his wrath. And that's likely at face value. That is likely where we all go to because of what that word fear generally, uh, our first thought of what it's communicating. That's generally what we think of is something scary. And it does communicate that, but it's so much more for us. When we read Uh, Throughout scripture, this phrase, the fear of the Lord comes up. When we read that, it also means being overwhelmed by God's grace, being overwhelmed by his faithfulness, by his provision. It communicates that there's there's a respect there, like the way that a servant would fear their master and serve faithfully. But this also communicates a relationship it also communicates a relationship that has reverence. A relationship that reveres God. The awe that a person feels in the presence of true greatness. This this Hebrew word, the fear of the Lord, it's It's a combination of all of these things. It communicates all of these ideas. And the psalmist, he goes on to inform inform us that the fear of the Lord, that reverential relationship that we should have with our Father in heaven, that is the beginning. That is where wisdom starts. That is the start of being able to live this life with skill. We wanna be skillful when it comes to living this right, this life. So this verse is telling us that the place to start when it comes to wisdom, it's the fear of the Lord. Now, there are several other verses in scripture that communicate this same idea, Psalm 110 says it like this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all those who practice it have good understanding. How and why is the fear of the Lord, how, is, how and why is this reverential relationship, how is that the beginning place of wisdom? Psalm 111 says, highlights several truths about God. And they're directly connected to both fearing the Lord and walking out this life in wisdom. Let's look again at the end of verse seven. It says, uh, verse seven says, "'The works of his hands are faithful and just. "'All his precepts are trustworthy.'" when it comes to skillful living, sometimes the, the knowledge that we go to, sometimes the knowledge that we seek out, if we're honest, it's not always the Lord that we go to for that knowledge. The word of God is our ultimate authority here on this earth. No, we don't always make it our ultimate authority, but whether we make it our ultimate authority or not, it is. And we often don't put that knowledge into practice. We seek the wisdom of bad counselors sometimes. Now, don't get me wrong. I know what Proverbs teaches. In Proverbs eleven fourteen 14, it says, where there, are no, where, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So it's good to get some good counsel. But the voices that we allow, the voices that we invite in to inform our thoughts, whether, whether it's our favorite conservative podcaster, uh, social media, self-help books. Be honest, some of us like to listen to the celebrities and what they have to say about things. Or maybe you like to listen to your coworkers. So often we give our ears to voices that are bad counselors. Sometimes the wrong voices. Sometimes we go where we know we're gonna get affirmation. Like, I know that that person's gonna give me good counsel, but it's not the counsel I want. I want want somebody to tell me what I wanna hear. And we know where to go to get that. Sometimes we don't seek out biblically grounded answers, the, the answers that we actually need. We don't always seek out the counselors that are gonna help guide us in paths of righteousness. We go on to read in verse eight that God's precepts, they are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. The word of God is not just some family heirloom. I know it looks really cool to have a nice, beautiful, leather-bound book sitting on your coffee table, but it is useless unless you pick it up and you read it. Sticking it in a glass cabinet is not what we do with wisdom. It is not just a knick-knack. It's not just something that we decorate with. God's truth is not something to be admired from far away. We are called to preform his precepts. We are called to live in the light of God's word, applying the knowledge of God's word in our life so we can skillfully navigate this life. Even though it's not explicitly addressed here in this psalm, there's an idea of accountability implied here as well. Listen to the end of Ecclesiastes, the conclusion that Solomon comes to. In chapter 12, verse 13, Solomon writes, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Fearing God is always the starting point for wisdom. The fear of the Lord should remind us that we are accountable for all of our decisions. Every word that comes out of our mouth, every action, uh, all of our attitudes, all of our ambitions, all of those things. Every word, every relationship, all the things that you think that you do in secret. Everything that I feel like in my life, like, oh, I got away with that, nobody saw that. Nobody heard me slip up and say that word that I, yeah, I'm sorry, Lord, I probably shouldn't have said that. I'm going to give an account. We are going to give an account for everything. Whatever is done in the dark will be brought to the light. We cannot fool ourselves forever that we're getting away with things. We can fool ourselves for a little while to believe that Yeah, I got away with that for a a minute. But the truth is, our Father in heaven will sit in judgment over it all and praise God that he is, as the psalmist describes, gracious and merciful. Praise God that he is seeking to send us redemption because you are his creation. Mankind is the crown of his creation and he has a deep affection for every one of you. God is not this distant ruler who is far off, passing laws and and giving us commandments that that he's just casting on us from far away. He wants relationship with us. But even even if he was a far-off, distant ruler, that wouldn't change the rightness of what he tells us, what his word communicates with us, the, the rightness of the commands that he has given us. But it will generally dictate the way that we receive them. God's truth is given in light of his grace and mercy in light of an incomparable goodness. His authority is that of a loving father. God wants to be a loving father in your life. So with the emphasis that uh, the psalmist and the wisdom literature makes on this idea of wisdom, it can, can make us like think, well, If I just figure all these things out logically in my life, then I don't have to live a life of faith, right? Logic and reason and wisdom, they don't excuse us from a life of faith. Wisdom and faith are not mutually exclusive ideas. You can't, when you become a believer, we don't say, well, Wisdom is more comfortable for me, so I'm gonna walk down this path and to heck with all the people that are walking down the path of faith. Like, they're not mutually exclusive paths. You don't get to choose one or the other. They go hand in hand. Wisdom and faith are foundational elements of the Christian life. Scripture does not pit faith and wisdom against each other. You don't have to choose between the two, thank God. They both occur in God's kingdom in harmony with one another. God is ultimately the source and the focus of both of those things. They can and they should be used together in walking out this life skillfully. Someone who is strong in their faith will operate in wisdom. Likewise, someone who walks well in wisdom will have a strong faith life. Faith and wisdom both flow from God and they are designed to work together in harmony. Unfortunately, we like to be imbalanced here on this earth. The Lord, he he knows our weaknesses. He knows that we tend to get out of whack. So he addresses this in scripture. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this, in verse 22, verses twenty three through 25 of the first chapter, Paul says, "'For the Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom.'" But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, both the Jews and the Greeks, they miss the opportunity in the first century to know Christ because both of their expectations... Uh, both had expectations on Christ that he said, I'm not gonna meet your expectations. I'm not gonna do what you want me to do. I'm going to do what the Father sent me to do. So the Greeks, they fell prey to the pride of human reasoning. And the Jews demanded miraculous signs. Both of these groups allowed their assumptions to blind them from God's plan. We don't get to limit God. We don't get to tell God what to do. We let him direct us. And unfortunately, these two extremes, they still stain our faith today. I'd say in America, among genuine believers, among churches that genuinely take seriously the word of the Lord, there is still an unfortunate divide between these two extremes. Like you can love the Lord and take him seriously and be a genuine believer and still be an error in some things in your life, still get out of whack and be an extreme, uh, in, a, in an extreme camp on one side or the other. There are believers that want nothing more. They get blinded by nothing else but, oh, Lord, just give me signs and wonders. That's all I'm chasing. That's all I'm looking after. And then there are other believers that they just want to put God in a box. Like, I, I, got, I can explain everything in scripture. I can explain the whole entirety of the, the, the life of faith with logic and reason. And both of these extremes are wrong. Both of these extreme points of view, they need one another. So where's your tendency? Where do you get out of balance in your life of faith? In your walk with the Lord, which path do you find yourself tending towards? Do you tend to over-spiritualize things and devalue Wisdom and reason and logic. Some of us tend to over-spiritualize everything that happens in our life and we over-interpret every little thing and we look for signs and, oh, there's a crack at the sidewalk, that must mean something. We rely uh, on our emotions to make our decisions and we force our own meaning into God's word, into scripture or maybe you slip on the other side of that spectrum. Maybe you devalue walking by faith. Maybe you rely way too heavy on logic. Maybe, give me all the facts, and with my education, I can do this. Those people tend to have a difficult time walking by faith because you know what? I feel the inclination to go this way but it just doesn't make sense. So I'm gonna rely on reason and logic and I'm gonna go this way. And sometimes, sometimes we can't choose. Sometimes we get tossed to and fro, back and forth between the two. And we never find the tension. We never find the balance between these two, uh, between these two walks. We never incorporate both faith and wisdom together. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite theologians, he addressed this problem very clearly in his book, Mere Christianity, when he wrote, I feel a strong desire to tell you, and I expect you feel a strong desire to tell me which of these two errors is worse. That's the devil getting at us he always sends errors into the world in pairs pairs of opposites and he always encourages us to spend a lot of time thinking which is the worse you see why of course he relies on your extra dislike of the one error to draw you gradually into the other error. Do not let us be fooled. We have to keep our eye on the goal and go straight through between both errors. We have no other concern than that with either error. We have to live a life in that tension. We have to balance ourselves and figure out how to walk in both wisdom and faith. Faith and wisdom are not mutually exclusive. They work together. Faith and wisdom are both gifts from the Lord to be used in tandem to navigate this life skillfully. Devaluing one over the other only causes an imbalanced Christian life and it only causes disunity in the body. The fear of the Lord to be in awe of God. That is the starting place of wisdom. Only when we submit to the authority of God in our life, only when we trust him fully, will we be inclined to walk in both faith and wisdom. Solomon sums it up like this in Proverbs chapter three, verses five through eight. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Psalms describing here a lifestyle of walking in both faith and wisdom. God's word describes us as those who regularly like to lean on our own understanding. Those people who like to walk in our own wisdom. And we consistently have to wrestle against feeling wise in our own eyes. We're prone to live of the world as we are living in the world. Sometimes we get caught up in that cycle. We can start to believe that living skillfully in this life, it's a hopeless endeavor. But our hope is found in what Paul tells us in Colossians. In the second chapter of the letter to the Colossians, Paul wrote that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is telling us that in Christ, we can find everything we need to live the life of faith, everything to live this life skillfully, to know the joy, the fulfillment. In Christ, we can know the purpose that we long for. We can establish that relationship of reverence and respect and admiration, submission, obedience, awe, praise, that relationship with Jesus, knowing and being fully known by God. That is the beginning of wisdom and that will guide you in the discipline of developing the skill that you need to navigate the relationship in this world with success. Like, you have a relationship with the world whether you like it or not. If you want it to be a successful one, you need Jesus. You need a strong relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus will guide you in how to navigate expressing yourself in this cancel culture world. but for every one of us who falls to that proclivity to live of the world, Paul tells us here that Christ means reconciliation for us. For every one of us who trips and stumbles and we don't get it right, Christ is here to reconcile us back to the Father. Through his Blood shed for our sins. Jesus brokered an unbreakable peace deal. You have peace with God. You can have a relationship with your father in heaven. Through Christ, we have freedom. He makes it possible that we can live this life in freedom. We can actually fear the Lord in the very way that he intended us to. Not worshiping the creation over the creator. Not simply just being scared that he's gonna throw down his wrath and justice on us. But we know that through that reconciliation, we have grace and mercy available to us. We can be reconciled to We can be in the presence of and overwhelmed by everything that makes God who he is. That is the starting point. That is the beginning. That is the birthplace of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, our Father in heaven, your name is holy. Your name is good. Lord, it is by your grace alone Through faith in your Son alone, that we can live skillfully in this world. Lord, I pray that you would draw us to reconciliation. Lord, that we would seek to be reconciled with you so that we would not live of this world. Lord, give us the power, the strength, and the wisdom to not live of this world, but to live in this world on a mission as you have called and created us to be, that we would be light bearers, that we would be your image bearers to this world. Lord, lead us not into temptation to be overcome by the world, but as your representatives, as your sent ones into this world, as your missionaries right here where we find ourselves today in this community, to the people that in our lives that you have placed us next to. Lord, make us ministers of hope and truth to them. Lord, put us on mission to give the lost and dying of this land the hope of the good news of the gospel. Lord, that lead us into walking in the spirit of wisdom and truth. Lord, that we would walk worthy of your calling, led by your Holy Spirit in the context of a reverential relationship with your precious son, Jesus, in, whom, in whose name we pray. Lord, let us walk by faith in the fear of you, Lord. All God's people said, amen. It's worship.